Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, when I was first called to China, I can't say that it was this magnificent calling of, of, of me sitting in a dark place with nobody else around and a light shine down, and I heard this booming voice from heaven calling me to China. I heard my wife say I would like to go to China. That was the booming voice for me. I had no desire to be in China. I had... Uh, served for about five years in the U.S. military. I was in the, in, the, in the U.S. Marine Corps, did two tours in the Persian Gulf, worked with special operations, moved over to be a scout sniper, and then eventually into intelligence. Um, that might make you look down on our intelligence community a little bit. But uh, from there, I went to work for a police department and university. I went to university full-time while working for a police department before we eventually moved to China. We only moved for eight months. And we never left. And the reason we never left is because it was too darn fun. There was just so many things taking place. I had worked together with uh, people in Southern California. My wife and I lived for about six years in Southern California. And we were doing homeless ministry. And I remember how much work it took to get people to come to church, to come to outreaches, to do evangelism. I remember doing outreach for homeless community, and this was in the 90s, and I would see homeless people come to our, our we would have this, this, uh, this event where we would feed the homeless, and people that were in the homeless community would come with mobile phones, and I would say, wait a minute, I don't even have a mobile phone. What in the world are, and, and we would come up with all these different ideas of how could we get more people to listen. And then we got to China, and the people in China were just so excited about us sharing the gospel with them. And I kind of felt like a hero, like, like, like all of a sudden this instant celebrity status. And I liked it, and so we didn't want to leave. People were like, please don't leave, share more. I was like, why in the world would I ever go back to America where people are trying to be convinced to listen to the message that we have? So we ended up staying in China. But the problem with me staying in China is that I didn't speak Chinese. I barely spoke English. My wife is not from America. She's from uh, Sweden. She speaks five languages. Uh, English is her third language. And she's very good with language. And when we first got married, she would always correct me on my English. She would say, how are people going to take you serious if you speak like this? I, I, I often joke and say that I would, give her, I would send her love letters, and she would send them back corrected. She, she knows that my language is not very good. So I, I, I grew up in, a country, in the countryside in, in the U.S., and language was never my strong point. And when we moved into China, I realized I do need to speak this language. So we moved to Beijing during our first couple years, and I went to university there in Beijing to study the language. And uh, we, have a, we have an overhead, if we can get that up. And so I went to, to China to uh, study the language, and when I went uh, and began to study the language, I had to enroll in the university. Now, when I enrolled in the university, I did my language studies online like most people by watching YouTube. 
And when I picked up a couple words, I mean, just a couple things that helped me get by on a regular basis. So when I walked into the evaluation room for them to allow me into this Chinese course in the university, they immediately started speaking Chinese to me. And it just so happened by complete coincidence that I understood what they were saying because I had been watching these YouTube clips. So they said, you know, hello, I knew how to respond back, hello. They said, you know, how are you, where are you from? These are the exact things that I actually studied on YouTube. So I was conversing back and forth, and they're like, wow, you speak good Chinese. And I felt good with myself. And I said, yeah, I'm not bad. <laughs> so they enrolled me in my course. My course was year two studies at the university. So I showed up for my first class not being able to understand exactly where I was going. And I walk into the first class, and it is year two intensive reading. I've never studied even one Chinese character. I told them, you know, I don't belong here. I really need to leave. But they insisted that I stay. Now, this, this, is, this is no joke. This is a personal experience of mine. This was on a Thursday. By Friday, it was quite clear by all the students that were in the class that this guy is completely lost. Now, I had no other white students from America or Europe in my class. They were all Korean and Thailand. And during the, during the intensive reading portion, whenever there was something that we didn't understand that the teacher was saying, she would write the character on the board. And then all the students would say, oh, except for me. I had no clue what was being written on the board. By Monday, we had a, um, a substitute teacher, and that entire weekend, I had been praying. Because I thought, God, you brought us here. I want to drop out of this course, but they won't let me. And I've already paid for it. I just want to go to year one. They won't let me go to year one. What do I do? And I really felt that God was saying, don't worry. Don't worry. So I studied, and I prayed, and I studied, and I prayed. No joke, by Monday, something happened, something clicked. By Monday, I understood, could read, and could write using computer or my mobile phone more than a 1,000 characters in the Chinese language. And supernaturally, I began to understand year two studies for college-level Chinese. The miracle actually didn't grow more than that because I never made it past year two studies. But it was this amazing thing that I experienced out of nowhere, and I can't really explain it. It, it. There was no flash of light. There was nothing that I experienced other than it just made sense, and I could understand it. And then I began to experience something in Chinese culture that I just want to share with you and why the Chinese and, and, and the churches here in this area are working together with the Chinese to reach Iraq. Because the revivals that are taking place in China, the Chinese believe are not just for them. They believe that God is wanting to share this revival into the areas that are between China and Jerusalem. This is considered to be the final frontier of the gospel message. This is considered to be the last corridor of the Great Commission from China into Jerusalem. And so they're going from country to country, village to village, person to person, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and we have an opportunity to join together with them, partnering with the most populated nation on earth that is experiencing the largest revival, going in to an area that is the most violent, volatile, the area of the world that 
we are seeing on TV, on the nightly news, on a regular basis. But God has a plan. And it's coming from one of the most unlikely locations in the world. Not a Christian country. Not a country with a quote-unquote Christian heritage. But a communist nation. Amazing what our God can do. Anyway, so as this happened to me, this, this supernatural download, if you will, of the Chinese language, I began to understand a couple things um, about Chinese history that changed my thinking about going into areas that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Something hit me that basically said, though you might think they've never heard the gospel, my fingerprints are all over my people. Not one person was born without me knowing about it. Not one person walks on this earth and dies without me knowing about it. I care for them all. I know them by name. And I speak to them when nobody else knows about it. And I leave my fingerprints on the very pages of their history. And I just want to briefly go over some of the things. Now, uh, after this morning's message that I, I, I shared this, I had some people coming up saying, wow, this is amazing that God gave you this revelation. It's important to know that um, the, the things that I'm going to be sharing tonight are a collection of ideas that I've received from others over time, and some of it has been my own experience that I've kind of put into this, this big stew of Chinese history, culture, and language, and what it is that is compelling them to leave China and go to the darkest regions of the world. Now, tonight's going to be a little bit different of a church service, so I'm going to do less preaching and maybe more sharing. So if you can think of a BBC special with a, a little bit of J28 and maybe just a sprinkle or a dash of Idiot Abroad, that's basically what tonight will be. When, when, when I look at Chinese history, I can see God's fingerprint all over the nation. If we can go to the first um, slide. The next one. <clears throat> Most of what I'm going to be saying didn't just pull out of thin air. The things that, that I will be sharing comes from China's most well-known historian, a guy by the name of Sima Qian. So these are not just, you know, ideas that are, or, or things that I've kind of made up or, or maybe stretched the truth. I'm going to be giving you direct translation from some of Sima Qian's writings. Next slide. <clears throat> the very first emperor, according to Sima Qian, was about 2,500 years ago by uh, an emperor by the name of Huangdi. Now, the reason why this is important is not to memorize who is, the, who is the emperor of China. Nobody wants to do that. I will lose this crowd quite quickly, especially if you had a very big lunch and, and just before you came in here. But it is good to know this, that if the Bible is true, then it's not just a collection of spiritual ideas, but it is a history book that we can go to and, and, and find tangible evidence in the world today of events that actually took place in our own history. That if you open up the Bible, it is not just a history book, but it's also a photo album. A photo album that tells us about the, the, the history of mankind, our history, our shared history with one another. And when we look at Huangdi and the time that he served, we can look at the Bible and say, okay, who is the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah, right? 
So Methuselah, for those that don't know, was alive when Adam was alive. That means he would have known the stories and been familiar with the events that took place during the, the, the creation of Adam and Eve. And he was also alive during the generation of Noah. Or just before. So that you have this connection of, of, of people. And that's just the ones that we know about. But there's, there's information that, that, that is, trans, that is tr going from one generation to another. So that when Noah and his family gets onto the ark and, and, and mankind starts again, they're carrying with them these stories that come from all the way back to the beginning. And if we look at Huang Di and the time that he took, that he took power, we actually see that uh, they believe that they came from the West. That means that they could have been exposed to those that were still carrying the stories of Adam. And that's very important because as we look at the Chinese history, we're going to see some very important things that might seem a bit familiar to you. If we go to the next slide. In China, the very first capital where Huangdi served is in Shandong province. Now, this area was called Shenzhou. Shen is the, is the Chinese word, one of the Chinese words for God. So it meant the Chinese country or the land of God. The, the, the Shen meaning God, so God's country. And that's, that was the original name. And there they had a very famous mountain. Next slide. This mountain was called Taishan. Taishan was a mountain that Huang Di and the priest would climb up to the top and give an offering to the Chinese God. Now, when I say Chinese God, many people might actually think to themselves, well, I know China. I know that they, I'm sorry, I'm just going to move this out where people can see it. Well, maybe I'll, can everybody see this? Now, we might have a challenge. I've been told that we don't have dry erase markers, but... I, are these dry erase? Yep, so they said that if I use them in the testing that took place just prior to this service, they, they, they were able to be erased just fine, no problem. But now we're going to see, I'm going to make some big old marks so they will be here forever. This message will never be forgotten by the church. But when people think about the Chinese people, what do you think about when it comes to religion? You think of what? Like Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, right? Well, if you look at the timeline of man today, 2017. So 2017, you have uh, the life of Christ dividing history. You have, so basically zero here. And then here, 2,500 years, roughly when the Chinese uh, uh, history started. So 2,500 years before Christ, when you look at the religion that is associated with them today, we have an issue. Because Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism started in the 4th and 5th centuries B.C. That means you roughly have 2,000 years, all of this time. So almost the same amount of time from here to here as you have from Jesus to now. That the Chinese practice something that is not associated with them today. Not Buddhism, not Confucianism, not Taoism. So what was this religion? Well, going back into the Chinese history on Taishan Mountain, we can see a little bit into that window. Next slide, please. When we look at the Chinese god, we see that they praised somebody by the name of Shangdi. That was the supreme god. And the supreme god is also known as Tian. 
We call him Tian Fu. Even today, Christians, when they pray, they pray to Shangdi or they pray to Tian. And now the Sima Qian, the historian, wanted to make very certain that people understood this was not two gods in China, but one god. So he wrote this, Shangdi is another name for Tian. The spirits do not have two lords. There's only one. So whoever the Chinese prayed to, it was only one supreme god. And now we are going to do the ultimate test. <laughs> hey. Now, I am not an artist, and I do not write Chinese unless it's on a phone or a computer. I can read it, I can speak it, I can understand it, but I can't write it because there's... In, in the English language, we have 26 characters. It's kind of easy to learn how and practice how to write very beautifully A through Z, right? But in China, they have about 20,000 characters. I never found myself with the extra time to sit down and learn Chinese calligraphy. So I'm going to ask for help. As I draw this, if you would please help me by maybe clapping or cheering or indulge me just for a moment at my artistic attempts, okay? So in China, the word for people, the Chinese character is this. This is the Chinese people. This would be a perfect time to clap. Now, when they want to say that something is big, So whenever they want to say something's big, they show a, the character for a person, and then what does this look like? This looks like somebody's, how much do you love me? And the, the, kid, the, the mom and dad ask the child, you know, how much do you love me? And the child will say, this much, right? That means as big as it can be. It's this. This means da. This means big in Chinese. You didn't know you'd be learning Chinese tonight, did you, when you came to church? So this means big. Now, the word Tian, which here they say Shangdi is another name for Tian. What is Tian? Tian is the name for God. It's another name for God, and it means that everything that you can imagine, all the people on the earth, and then take as big as everything, the biggest thing that you can imagine, God is bigger than that. That's Tian. That is the word for God that they are showing here. Uh, next slide. And it says that the ceremonies of the celestial and the terrestrial sacrifices are those by which men serve Shangdi. That mountain that you saw, that Taishan mountain, when the, when the emperor would go up that mountain, he would offer his sacrifices to Tian or Shangdi. Now, Shangdi is the Chinese translation for the word Shaddai. This is the God that the Chinese served from the very beginning. This God, okay, that, that might be cute, but is this really the God of the same characteristics? Well, go to the next slide. If we look at, um, let me just pull up my Bible here. If we look at, if we go to um, the uh, Genesis 1-1, if we look at Genesis 1-1, and this is the ancient Chinese writing, that described the world as Shangdi created, Genesis 1-1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this is the writing of 
the Bible that we now have and we believe to be the creation of the world, or at least the introduction of the creation of the world. Tell me if there's any similarities at all with the Chinese writing. Of old, in the beginning, there was great chaos without form and dark. The five planets had not begun to revolve, nor the two lights to shine. In the midst of it, there was, existed neither form nor sound. Incredibly similar to the writings of the author. Do you believe that this was divinely inspired? I do. Was it canonized? No, it was not. But here we have evidence of the one true God, not just in the Jewish people's culture and history, but also in the Chinese. Next slide. Whenever we go into China, you will see that the, uh, the most visited place in all of China is in Beijing. It's called the Forbidden City. Now, throughout the Forbidden City is this, this one line. It runs perfectly north and south, and it's called the Dragon Line. This is a picture of this stone. This stone weighs about 40 tons, just one stone. And it goes all throughout the city, these stones that are put on top of one another. And this, this stone was laid several thousand years ago, and it came from mountains that are not close to Beijing. How in the world did an ancient people get stones this heavy all the way from the mountainside uh, several hundred miles away to Beijing? Well, they uh, waited till the wintertime. They cut these stones during the summertime. In the wintertime, they dug trenches, and then they filled those with water, and then they scooted. Once the water froze, they used the ice to move these stones all the way from the mountains to Beijing. And so the emperor, the only person that was allowed to walk on this holy line was the emperor himself. And the emperor was considered to be the connection between heaven and earth, the, the, the go-between between God and man. And he himself had a certain aura that was uh, uh, like God. And along this line, he would travel from the forbidden city to, next slide, along the dragon line all the way to Tianton or the temple of heaven. The English translation is the temple of heaven. Now, it's not a great picture. It's a little bit blurry on this display, but you can see the round thing at the bottom, right? And then there's a road that seems like it grows up to another round thing at the top. This is all a part of the temple of heaven. The round part at the bottom is a sacrificial area where animals are sacrificed, and then they are carried across the bridge to the temple, the actual temple to Shangdi, which is on the other side. The next slide. This is the temple to Shangdi, the, 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 the god that the Chinese worshipped. Now, do you see anything interesting about this building? The fact that it has almost a triune structure of three different parts representing the most high god. The platform that it's on takes three flights of stairs. Again, this other idea of Trinity. Can you hit the back button uh, just to go back one slide? On, the, on the, the actual entire temple itself, you can see that there is also almost like a trinity. There's a, a bottom portion where the sacrifice is done. There is the middle part. And then there is the, 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 the part where you actually have the temple of praise, um, the part where Shangdi would come down and visit the emperor during his sacrifice. What's interesting is that the sacrifices took place with the priests and processions that are very close to the writings in the Old Testament. Uh, the sacrifice was done right at the top of this, this bottom portion where you can see the three layers. Animal sacrifices were taken there. Then from there, 
the emperor would cross into that first portion that looks like a road that's actually a bridge. And the gates leading into that bridge is called the gates of hell. So the, the, the sacrifice would go through the gates of hell. Now catch this. Once the emperor would go through the gates of hell, he would fast and pray for three days. On the third day, he would get up, rise up, and go to the temple to offer the sacrifice to Shangdi. Look at the representation, the picture that you have in the Chinese history and culture. Next slide. And then the next one. This is where the sacrifice actually takes place. Now, I may be stretching it a little bit, but when I saw the aerial photo of this, I saw that the sacrifice takes place on the third level, and it's almost a cross. Can you see the cross? I didn't put that there. That's not superimposed. That's a part of the, of, of the sacrificial ring that you have there. So the sacrifice takes place on that cross before it goes through the gates of hell. Next slide. One of the things that, um, actually, let's go back. I just want to point this out really quick. Go back. Next, back. Right here where the temple, uh, the temple of Shangdi, where the sacrifice is actually given. I've been all around China. I've been in China for several years, like I said. Uh, one of the things that I notice is that uh, in China, they always have representation of gods. They have representation of Buddha. They have representation of these, these mean-looking warrior gods that would keep the Chinese safe from all kinds of different spirits. I've been all around the temple of heaven. I've taken tour groups. I've, I've given tours to tour guides in China and given tour guides, people that they get paid for a living to take Chinese around and give them a tour. These are Chinese that the white guy who's not Chinese gives them a tour and introduces things that they've never seen before. And one of the things that I've noticed about this temple and the whole area around it is there's no picture of Shangdi anywhere. In Chinese history, you will not find one engraving or representation of Shangdi, which reminds me of Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. So this, this Shangdi that the Chinese praised and worshipped, they would not dare make a representation of what he looked like. Next slide. And let's go uh, next one. Next one. Now, when I started to learn the Chinese characters, I kind of skipped a bit of the process because I had this, this supernatural download. However, one of the things that I started to become familiar with, there, there, there's these amazing books out there called Genesis in the Chinese Language. Uh, they're older books, but I would highly recommend them. Um, there's another guy by the name of Don Richardson. He's one of my heroes. He's written a book, a phenomenal book called Eternity in Their Hearts, where he shares about how every culture you can find the residual message of the gospel as well as the historical evidence of the creation. Um, 
I, uh, I, I was with him about a couple weeks ago in Thailand. I invited him to come and join us with some Chinese pastors. And it, it, he's one of those guys that absolutely blow my mind when it comes. He was the first one to introduce me to this concept of the Chinese language. And I just kept studying it. So I can go for a very long time. But tonight, uh, I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. I promise this half an hour will only feel like an hour. So we're going to try this again. It's getting more difficult, but it's still coming. I'll make my next one smaller. When we look at the Chinese characters, now this one is an interesting one. This is, this is to create, the Chinese word for create. This is the character for create. And unlike um, um, the, the English language, for instance, uh, because we have the romanization of the English language, like if we want to say the word mother or mama or something like that, we spell it out. Now, the, the, the characters themselves have no meaning in the English language. They only have meaning to us because they make sounds. And we put those sounds together, those sounds make words for us. They make sense to us. We can identify uh, information that's trying to be transferred to us from the sounds that are made from those characters. But the Chinese language is not like that. It's pictorial. Within the language itself, we actually get messages. We get history. Now, if it's true that Sima Qian would have been able to record the information from the beginning of Chinese time, and Chinese language is the oldest language in the world, uh, like the Jewish language, then if it captures Chinese history, then possibly by understanding the characters and understanding the history in the characters, then we might be able to get a window where we can view into the early religion of the Chinese people. Does that make sense? So, as we look into this window of the Chinese language, and this is not about teaching you Chinese, it's only to show you how amazing our God is. When we look at this word here, to create, we can look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said, let us create man in our image. The word for create is this character here which is like mud with movement. And then we have the character for mouth. So this together means hua, which means to speak, to make sound. From there, from the words or words or sounds or to speak, when something was spoken, you had movement, and that was to create. So this idea of words were spoken, and it was done. Words were spoken, and it was created. You can see already something interesting taking place where you can tell the entire story of Genesis just by going through Chinese characters. Okay, well, that one might be a bit of a stretch. It might be coincidence. Next slide. This is the most uh, popular um, character in the Chinese language. You will never see a character used more times than this. Right now is Chinese New Year. It is the year of the rooster. So you can look at your neighbor and say, ur, 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 ur. it's the year of the rooster. And, and, and the Chinese, during the year of the rooster, they will put, congratulations, thank you. <laughs> Somebody's listening. <laughs> so in, in the Chinese culture, you will find this symbol almost on every door, either inside the door or outside the door. It means blessings, fool. 
It means to bring blessings onto this house. And sometimes they will turn upside down to mean let the blessings flow into our home. But this character itself is very interesting because you have the character for one. Then you have the character for mouth. Now, in Chinese, it's important to know that mouth or gate, this character here, is a way to measure people. So, for instance, if I ask you, how many people do you have in your family in the Chinese language, I would ask you, how many mouths do you have? Which I think is a more appropriate way of asking how many people are in your family because you're feeding them. So, when Chinese, when you ask how many people you have, you say, how many mouths do you have? So, here you have one person or one mouth and the Chinese character for field. So, you have a man in the field or the garden. And then the character beside that you see right here, this is a radical. This is the radical that we uh, call uh, for God. So you have God with man in the field. That is a blessing. If you have God with you in the field, if you have God with you in your office, if you have God with you in the cubicle, if you have God with you in your home, that is when you have blessings. So the Chinese character for blessing, I believe, tells the entire story in a much more rich way than just spelling it out. Next. <clears throat> the, 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 this one is kind of a fun one in the way that the word for garden. Now check this out. For the garden, you have, again, this character for mud or dust. And then you have, again, the mouth. So we know that we have this dust in the mouth. And there's life or something spoken into the dust. And we have this character for man. And then from the side of man is people or a person. So you have words creating a man. And then from the side of man is coming another person. And then from the sides of man, you take all of that and you put it into a garden. That is the word for garden. Next. Now, this one here is to forbid. This, these two characters at the top, they kind of look like this. That character at the top, one of those is for tree, the next one is for tree. Does anybody here speak Chinese? A little bit. Okay, so if you speak Chinese or you write Chinese, I'm glad you said not a lot because you would laugh at my writing. But let me say this. I have sat with Chinese groups for days and shared this. There was, there was a, a meeting I was doing in Vietnam with a group of Chinese, very close friends of mine. I've been working with them on the mission field for many years. And it was an entire conference, and we were speaking at the conference, and I said, you know, in this culture, they have a history that's like the Chinese where God can be found in their language, like China. Nobody responded. I said, you know, like your language, nobody responded. I said, do you guys not know about this? And I shared it with the pastor, asked him, did you know about, you know, the Chinese language telling the story of Genesis? He goes, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So I said, guys, we're changing all the curriculum starting right now. And we went through all the different characters. Tears started flowing down their eyes when they thought that, you know what? We thought Christianity was this Western religion brought into China. Now we are seeing that we have been followers of Jehovah from the very beginning. This is not a Western religion. This is who we are as a people. And it changed their whole idea radically. So next slide. This one here, uh, I just showed you that this means tree. You'll see that we have two of those at the top. So you have two trees put together. So two trees put together, and then you have this interesting character. I'll try to step to the side so everybody can see. So you have two trees at the top of this character together, and you have a movement that takes place in the garden or the field. 
So a movement is taking place in secret under the trees. And then from there you have the character for man. So you have a man in the garden, and then you have something telling a secret. This, by the way, is the character for devil. This means Satan in Chinese. So the character for Satan is a field or a garden with man with a secret. So from there, for deceiver or tempter, you have two trees, the devil under two trees, taking place undercover. That is the word for tempter. Next slide. <clears throat> Difficult, worry. Have you seen that character in the middle before? It's a tree, right? So the word for difficult, they say it all the time in Chinese. This is so difficult. The word for difficult means a tree, a tree that you can't touch, a tree that's been put out of bounds, but you want it. You want to touch it. It's so difficult to stay away from it. It's tempting. That's the word that they use for difficult, to show the challenge that you have with the things that tempt you. Next. Here you have the word for greed which you may not recognize. You recognize the two characters at the top, right? See, I'm seeing people say yes. That means you're already speaking Chinese. <laughs> Congratulations. You didn't know this. So you have the two trees, and then right underneath it, you have this character here. Now, that's not the best. And then you have, uh, so that means a woman. That means female. So a female in the trees, or with the two trees, this is the word for Greed, lan, tan lan dalan. And then we have another one. Now, I'm just looking, making sure that I'm going to write this correctly. Because when we have woman, I, I, I wanted to share this this morning, but I didn't have the slide for it. This is a horrible representation. It's actually this, this way. So, but this is the character for woman. This is the character for man. When you put man and woman together, this is the most used character in the Chinese language. It means good. Man and woman together makes good. God created man and created woman and saw that it was good. Next slide. Have you seen this character to the right? That's the devil. You notice that? You recognize that? So you have the devil... And then the character to the left is considered to be a radical for your heart. That means if you have guilt, you have let the devil into your heart. Next slide. Here, we see something that takes place in the book of Genesis, which is a recording of the world's first murder. Now, You might have to take up an offering and buy another dry erase board after I'm done with the time. So here we have two words for, uh, uh, that, that sound the same, but they're different. So in Chinese, you can have words that sound the same, but they mean something completely different. And you can tell when you see the characters. And, and here you have the word for brother. 
Di Shong or Shong Di. This is the way that we talk about brothers. Now, whenever we say Di or Di Shong, it's just a representation that the Shong goes together with. But Shong by itself, X, by the way, makes an SH sound when we Romanize it in Chinese. So whenever you see an X uh, beside somebody's name in China, it doesn't mean that they're related to Malcolm X. It means that it's a Shu sound, so Xiong. So we have the word for Xiong, which is like a mouth with legs. That means like brother. So here we have the word for brother. Now, when we see the very first murder take place in the book of Genesis, who was it? Cain and Abel, brothers. What happened to Cain when he ran away? He ran away, and he was marked by God. Where was he marked? On his head. So the word for murderer is shong, the same word, just with an X on the head. Next slide. You can even show this without the, if we can go to the next slide. You can even show this without the bottom portion, and it still means the same, just showing the marking on the head. Next slide. When we look at the Chinese kind of items that they keep around their home, this is one of the uh, most famous things that you'll see in many Chinese homes. It's called the heavenly celestial boat or the the. The, the first kind of Chinese. Now, this is the, they, they believe that this harkens back to like ancestral worship. However, you can't see very well on this boat, but on this boat, there are eight individuals. Next slide. The very word for boat is eight people on a vessel. So at the top, you have this, this character, which is eight, the bottom character, which is mouth, and then the left character, which means vessel. So you have eight people on a vessel. Do you remember the first time that we see boat in the Bible? Ark, right? We have Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Eight people on a vessel. This is also the Chinese word for boat. Next slide. Then we start seeing other items that give us an even bigger revelation. Here, at the very top, we have two characters. Uh, the, the entire character is two characters put together. At the very top, we have a character that we call Lamb or Yang. Yang goes at the very top. And then under the Lamb is the character for me. So the word righteousness in Chinese is a Lamb over me. Painting any pictures yet. Next. Now, this is Chinese New Year, and whenever you travel around China during Chinese New Year, or even you go to Chinatown in London or New York, San Francisco, uh, you will see that the Chinese put banners outside of their door. Now, the Chinese New Year never comes at the same time every year. The reason why is it's based on the lunar calendar, not the solar calendar. So the lunar calendar, uh, because it's different than the solar calendar, and the equinox is different every year, and it's based off of the equinox, they, they set it up at, the, at different times of the year. And so this year it took place at the end of January. Last year it was at the end of February, and it changes like that. That is the reason why the Passover festival, or Easter, never takes place at the same time every year, because it too is based on the lunar calendar. 
these two holidays, the Passover festival for the Jews and the New Year's uh, festival for the Chinese, are the two largest holidays in those cultures, and they're based on the same idea of the lunar year, and they come right before the spring. Now, when I first saw this, and I saw that the Chinese put red banners, I asked many people, where does this come from? If you ask 100 people in China, where does this come from, you will get 100 different answers because nobody really knows. However, for me, I asked, what does it mean? And that's where I got real kind of revelation when they said, we put the red banners on our door to keep out evil spirits, to protect our home. Kind of like another holiday that I know. Next slide. Next slide. Now, before I leave from China and share about the areas where the Chinese are working in, I just want to touch on one person that is one of the most important individuals in the Chinese history, and that is this guy right here. His name is Kong Shi. He is the most famous emperor. He served during what they call China's golden age, which I would actually debate that's now for China, uh, but they say that this is the golden age for China. This is Kong Shi. He served longer than any other emperor in Chinese history, and it's actually from his time of service that we get the word China because those from the Persian Empire were coming to Xin or Xina, their pronunciation of Qing, the Qing dynasty. So this is where we get the word China. That's how important this emperor was because he influenced even how people uh, uh, talked about them from around the world because the Chinese don't call themselves China. They call themselves Zhongguo, which means center kingdom. They literally believe that they are the center of the world. That's where the joke comes from, that if you keep digging, you'll dig all the way to China, idea being that you'll dig to the center of the earth or you'll dig to the other side of the center and arrive in China. And Chinese believe that they are the center kingdom. Uh, but the China comes from this guy right here. He is revered as being one of the wisest leaders in all of China. Next slide. And he wrote this. The treasure of heaven is comprised of the sun, moon, and stars. The treasure of earth consists of crops, gold, and silver. The treasure of a kingdom is to have righteous officials. The treasure of a family is to have descendants with piety. Yet gold, silver, and jade are not as precious as one's life. Hundred years of age is nothing compared to eternity. Coming and going in life is like a dream. The best food and clothing don't mean a thing. It's no exception for someone to be born in a royal family. The most important thing in the world is life. Something that white jade, gold, and silver cannot buy. Even plain porridge can be satisfying. No cloth is fit to wear for a thousand years. Now pay attention here. The heaven's gate was closed due to first man's sin. The path to salvation is through the Son only. I would like to accept God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and receive from thee my free gift of eternity, signed by the hand of Kang Shi. He was a Christian emperor, ruler. Most Chinese have no clue that he gave his heart to Christ when Jesuit missionaries came to the forbidden city to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. A phenomenal history that's been ripped from them so that they would not know who their creator was. And our job as a church, as, as, as the body of Christ, is to take that message back to them. 
And the Chinese believe now that we have it, we're not going to let it go, and we're going to continue on with it to the areas that have also experienced the same. And that place that they're going to now, one of them that we have been working together with J28 on is Iraq. I stepped off the plane and literally still had Iraqi dirt on my shoes when I came here last time. I didn't have much of a voice. I had lost my voice. Um, I've stopped smoking since then, and so I'm able to preach a little bit better. Next slide. When people ask me where I'm from, I'll, often, I'll say, of course, I'm an American. But they say, yeah, but where did your family come from? I'll say, well, they came from Germany. But if I were to be more accurate and go back even further, I would say I'm Iraqi, as can everyone else in this room. Everyone here is also Iraqi. So you might as well get used to it and say, I am Iraqi. Say it with me. I am Iraqi. It'll make you look at the news different, I promise. When you think of, this is where I come from. Next slide. But, I mean, what do you mean by, this is where I come from? I don't look Iraqi. Well, that's because you haven't been reading your Bible. Because when you read your Bible, you will find that uh, the, the Garden of Eden set between two rivers, those two rivers being the Euphrates River and the Tigris. Now, whether the Garden of Eden or the Tigris River actually changed courses is up for debate. So many people will say, well, it wasn't here, it wasn't there, but still we know this for a fact. And that is, in this area, we have what we refer to as the cradle of civilization. The world's first metropolitan areas, the world's big city, first big cities, the Tower of Babel was here. We have Babylon here. We have King Nimrod that served here. We have Noah and his three sons that landed here. The mountain that they landed on was a, was, was a mountain by the name of Ararat or Mount Ararat. Now, whether that is today's Mount Ararat, which is on the border of Turkey and Iran and Armenia or not, we don't really know. But what we do know is a couple things. One, if you, if, if, if you are kind of a wine connoisseur, you will know that the origin of wine comes out of Armenia. Interestingly enough, the, Mount Ararat is right there at the top of Armenia, Armenia being just north of Iraq. So we're right there on the border. We're going to talk about Armenia here in a minute. But wine comes out of that area, which is interesting when we look at the Bible because when Noah's ark landed, what did he do? He offered a sacrifice, and then he planted a vineyard. So the fact that we can trace the history of wine back to Armenia matches right up with the Word of God. When we follow our family history, we all end up in the cradle of civilization, Mesopotamia, which is a word that says land between the rivers. And that's what we have in the Bible, the land between the rivers. You can see here at the bottom, Ur, just as we're going down into the Gulf. Ur is where we hear about with who? Abraham. So as we go up, we can see Babylon. We can see Nineveh. Nineveh is modern-day Mosul. Mosul is where ISIS is at right now. Just north of Mosul is where our Chinese team and where Pastor Danny and I traveled together too. Next slide. <clears throat> now, this is not um, it, very clear. It might be a little bit off for you, but this is 100000 uh, Armenian dollars. This money comes from Armenia. This is the back of the bill. This is like two pounds. 
Uh, we have um, a, a depiction of a story that's taking place here that tells the story of the world's first Christian kingdom. Now, Armenia is considered to be the world's first Christian country that became a Christian country around 300 AD. However, this event took place right after Christ. So uh, here we actually have a story being told on the back of Armenian money. So this, again, this is world history. This is our history. This is your history. This is church history. We have um, the, the, this picture here of a king who is sick. So he writes a letter. And he sends that letter to a man that he had been hearing about by the name of Jesus. And Jesus was in Judea, so he sent that letter to be delivered in Judea. But by the time that letter arrived, Jesus had already been crucified and ascended. So two people grabbed that letter, and they brought it back. Those two people were St. Thomas and St. Judas, the brother of Jesus. Judas and Thomas arrive in Iraq the northern part, into a city called Arbil, which is the same city that we arrive in. They arrive in Arbil. They meet with the king. They bring the garments that Jesus was buried in. They give them to him. They pray for him. He is healed and makes his entire kingdom follow after the God that healed him from his infirmities. So when the Chinese are going to Iraq, they're not just going to an area that has never heard about Christ. They're not just going to an area that now they have the chance for the first time in history to become Christian believers or, or uh, learn about the God who created them and loves them so dearly. They're bringing the good news back to the people of Iraq. They're bringing the message that was once there, the very beginning of creation. They're bringing that back to the people of Iraq and say, this is your history. It was stolen from you. And the 6th century armies marched on your land, and they forced you to believe in a false god. You did not have a choice. But now I bring a message of freedom to set you free. You may think that your country has been riddled with violence, and it will never change. You may think that you need to get on a plane, get a visa, and go to a Christian nation. But I tell you the truth. Here, you can experience God. Here, his freedom can, can help your people. You don't have to necessarily leave this area. God can bless you right where you're at. He can transform the land. He can make it productive again. He can bring peace again. He, do you think that England is safe because the people are smarter? No. Do you think that America is a, uh, has a better economy because the people uh, adopted uh, a, a democracy or capitalism? I, I, I have a, a whole new sermon for that one. It, because the truth is, God's word transforms nations. I can take one nation, the nation of North Korea, I can divide it in the middle. In the south, I give freedom to Christians. In the north, I persecute them. In the north, I adopt science. I embrace science. In the south, I, I, I embrace religion. And in the south, we see South Korea. Same country, same culture, same people, same history. South Korea is booming. They're making break, medical breakthroughs, scientific breakthroughs. Their, their, their academics is, is, is through the roof. Even their leisure activity is better. In the north, suffering, death, destruction, poverty. People are starving to death. People beg for death just to escape from the hardships of North Korea. That's not about government. That's about God. If I can bring God 
the, the, the ancient God of Israel, if I can bring him back to Iraq, that will transform the nation. So we said, let's help the refugees. Let's help the people. Let's build schools. Let's help the girls that were raped. And that's what we've been doing. And next slide. So we built this school. At the bottom portion here, you can see the school. We have about 400 students. And then just in front of that, we have a safe house for the young girls who have been raped and tortured by ISIS. And we said, let's do that. We can help. We can make a bit of a difference. But it doesn't mean a thing. It's not long-term. It doesn't make a long-term impact unless we can bring the word of God. Because the word of God will transform it forever. You drink from the fountain uh, uh, for a, a little bit, you'll, your thirst will come back. But if you drink from the, 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 water of, the living water of life, you will never grow thirsty again. So we are bringing in water as well as living water. And that's what we really want to do in Iraq. So we decided let's take Bibles into Iraq and give them to the areas that have been hit the hardest by ISIS. Uh, just last week, next slide. We had an opportunity to hand out not just wheelchairs. You won't be able to see this very well. Uh, but not just wheelchairs to individuals who have been hit by ISIS or are living uh, outside of ISIS hit areas. But also we've been able to give them a Bible to transform their lives forever. Next slide. <clears throat> this is another young man that we were able to get a wheelchair for as well as give a Bible. Next slide. Same here. Next slide. And I've not yet got the stories on them, just got a little bit from a pastor that Pastor Danny and I were able to meet with last time that we were there. Next slide. And he was able to hand out Bibles, not just to those that they gave wheelchairs to, but throughout the community. That's Pastor Ashley standing right there in the middle of the picture in the background. So that was the day that they handed out many different items of relief as well as the Word of God. What is interesting about Pastor Ashley is that he is a Chaldean Christian, and he speaks Aramaic the same language that Jesus spoke. You see, when the disciples came, they also brought their language, <clears throat> excuse me, and they were teaching. And now, even today, the Christians still speak the same language as the disciples and Jesus. You see, by taking the gospel into Iraq, we're not bringing in an outside religion. We're not trespassing on territory that we're not supposed to be in. That land belongs to God. And we are going back in to take it back. And last time I was here, I had shared the idea of what if instead of sending bombs, we send Bibles? What if instead of sending soldiers, we send missionaries? What if an area cannot be changed from the outside in, but instead from the inside out? Now, my first time into Iraq was when I was in the military. I did two tours in that region. And I've seen the word of God in these couple years working with the Chinese in Iraq do more than the world's most powerful military. I've seen more come from the word of God in the hands of the people of Iraq than any amount of funding with the world's best uh, uh, military, the world's best uh, political advisors, the, the world's best consultants. They can't solve the problem of Iraq, but I know the one who can. So, and I want to end with this. We decided it's all good in theory, but how do we get the Bible into ISIS territory? So we decided to take these Bibles that we are making inside of China, these little electronic e-readers <clears throat> that we make ourselves. We designed this ourselves, 
so that nobody else would know. So nobody has seen one of these before. I promise you that because we've made it. And this device here has been uh, specifically made in a way that uses very little energy consumption when you are reading the Bible, which means that someone who has this Bible can read it for seven years without changing the battery or charging the battery. That's the beauty of living in China. We make almost everything. And if we don't make it, we buy it. We bring it to China. We open it up. We find out how it's made, and then we copy it. That's our copyright policy. We copy it right. So we took this item, and we put them in a bag, and we decided, let's take these. Let's fly over the enemy's territory, and let's drop the word of God directly into their area. Why is it the church is always on the defensive? What if, for once, we start going on the offensive? What if, instead of building up walls and so scared that the enemy might actually invade, that we start doing some invasion ourselves? What if we take the most powerful message that the world has ever been given and we put it into the hands of those who have been prisoners in the Islamic countries for so very long? What if? So last, two weeks ago, I got this amazing video that almost made me pee my pants. <laughs> I opened it up, and it was our very fo first aerial footage of our drone flying over ISIS territory and dropping the word of God directly in that area. Now, we've been talking about this for a while. We attempted to start this project in December, and we've been now doing it for just over a month. And when we started the project, we were sharing about this at a church in Sweden. And you can look this up on the news. As soon as it got out there from this, the church in Sweden that we're working together with, it was picked up on BBC, Fox News, CNN. It was everywhere all around the world that these Christians are delivering Bibles into ISIS territories. And so the pastor that is there at that church, he, he asked me, he said, hey, a, a, um, a, uh, a reporter came to me and he asked, wouldn't you feel bad if somebody was caught with that Bible and killed? Don't you feel some responsibility that you're flying over a very dangerous area? You're dropping the word of God. Those people that would pick that up, that little device up, it, they, they, don't even, they might not even know what it is. They open it up. They start to read it. They get caught with it. And the people that are in charge, ISIS, they kill them. Wouldn't you feel responsible for that? Isn't this a bit reckless? So the, the, the missions pastor called me and said, how do we answer that? And I said, well, if somebody finds this Bible, and they're killed for it. That's a heavy burden to carry. I don't want to see one life hurt. If there's anything that we can do to minimize that, then let's do it. But I have to tell you the truth. I would feel worse if that person died without even one time getting to know that there is a God that loves him, if not even one chance to know that there is a creator that created them from the very beginning and loves them more than they could ever imagine. That, I feel, is more of a tragedy than dying with that hope in their hand. So the video that was sent to me, we, we, we added a little music to it. Can we uh, close this out and put in the video? There's a video that, that I had given to you earlier. If we can just uh, close this out and then uh, bring up that, that video.
the video that you're going to see will show the, the footage from our drone that is flying up. So you'll see it take off. It'll fly until we identify the ISIS village. And then you have to watch. It only takes place for a small second. Now, we slowed it down so you can see it better. But it still happens very quickly where the Bibles are being dropped. It just takes place in a split second. But it got me going. Okay, so let's go ahead and. From one man, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. What you worship as something unknown, I'm Ooh. going to proclaim to you. Our vision is that the enemy is shaking in their boots. Our vision is that they want to screen us and put up every obstacle that they can to keep us out. And instead of us being afraid of them, they start to be afraid of what God can do in their nation. And the enemy needs to be put on notice. His time is up. He's been holding this area for generations. And now God is going to set his people free.